welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal. Along with my co-host, Chris Kay, we discuss and dissect the songs, albums, and bands of the music we are most passionate about, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, turn it up to 11, and let the debate begin. Hello and welcome to Debating Metal episode 31, When Did a Band Lose You Too? It's part two of the conversation where we talk about bands that we liked and for one reason or another they lost you. But the question is, did they get you back? Along with our debate, Kenneth has more rusty metal and I've got another online pick of the week for you. We're also picking the best of the best with our big four heavy metal movie soundtracks. Last week, we picked our big four Slayer songs, so be sure to go to our Instagram at Debating Metal and leave a comment about what your big four Slayer songs are. But before we begin, let's review episode 30. Last week, we broke down the tracks of Slayer's two classic albums, South of Heaven and Seasons in the Abyss. To find out which album we thought was better, you can download or stream this episode on all the major podcast platforms such as iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Or better yet, click subscribe or follow and you'll get our newest episode on your computer or mobile device every Friday. And as always, rate us or leave a review. We also want to read your opinions on these or any of our topics. So if you agree with us or just want to rip us a new one, send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com or message us on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. Now it's time for Rusty Metal. Kenneth, what's your pick? All right, my pick this week, some people are going to say it's not metal, like sort of kind of like last week, but during this time period in metal's heyday, I guess you could say, this was considered metal. It was maybe pop metal, but it was metal. I'm going with Cinderella's debut album, Night Songs, released in 1986 on Polygram Mercury Records. And this, is, like I said, is the debut album for the boys from Clifton Heights, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb of Philadelphia. And uh, Cinderella was first noticed by Gene Simmons in 1984, 1985 time period, but nothing came of it. And then John Bon Jovi saw them, and he told his A&R guy, Derek Shulman, about them. And Shulman wasn't completely convinced about them either, but everyone kind of got together. They negotiated a full contract, a full record contract. And thus, recording for the debut album was underway. After signing the contract, they recruited Jeff Labar and uh, drummer Jim Drenick, I think is uh, is how you pronounce it, uh, to join the band. And after a few drummer changes before the album came out, the band settled on Fred Curry uh, right as they were getting ready to do the promotional uh, packaging for the album. So he actually became their drummer. Uh, I don't think he even played a, a... a, a symbol on the album. I don't think he played one single note on the on the record, but he was on the cover in the videos, and he collected all the money. <laughs> but anyway, that debut album, Night Songs from Cinderella, is a pretty damn kick-ass album. It contains their hits "Shake Me," "Nobody's Fool," and "Somebody Save Me." But that the album is you know is one of those front-to-back albums. I mean, it's got some really killer songs on there. And some of those killer songs are Once Around the Ride, Push Push, and Back Home Again. And Back Home Again is one of those, it's it's a burner, man. It's it it's almost like, you know how um, Dawkins has that song, um, Kiss of Death? It's like heavier than Kiss of Death. I mean, it's, it's like a really heavy song for a band like 
Cinderella, that album and that song were really heavy. They eventually would kind of turn more into a blues hard rock band, but this album was a lot heavier than anything else they put out. So, yeah, and they, I mean, they had the the early heavy metal image too. Yeah, you know, they they wore the the clothes and had the big hair and you know exactly. I I, I would consider that first album to be a metal album. Oh, it, it it to me it is. I mean, that that was metal for that day, and it's like yeah. I said, that song "Back Home Again" is is hard as hell. But the rest of the album is it's I mean it's got a ton of melody it's got a ton of heavy hitting songs and it's it's probably harder than the other three albums that they put out and it's a it's a killer album. So oh, very you, cool. So what's your online pick of the week? All right, so for my pick of the week, it's uh, it's actually the guitarist from the Haunted, um, and that would be Ola England, his YouTube channel. So what I really like about and I've been following his YouTube channel for a long time is he does a lot of different things, but it puts out a lot of content. So he has his own guitar company called Solar Guitars, and so he promotes that on there, but that's not the only thing it's for. He goes over all kinds of equipment like amplifiers, different guitars, not just his own, but different settings on the guitars, all, you know, all kinds of stuff that he explains a lot of information on how to use it. So if you're, if you're a player you could easily kind of pick up on a lot of the, the things he's presenting. Um, he also does a, a video. Uh, it's not weekly, but it's it's pretty regular uh, called Coffee with Ola, where he meets up with other musicians and just talks to them about, you know, basically an interview show. Um, he does uh, guitar and vocal covers. So he does some of that stuff. He does, excuse me. He does an FAQ series, so people can ask him questions about equipment or just really anything, and he goes over that. And then, you know, just goes over different bands that that people request, like, hey, you don't listen to this, check it out. And it's cool to go along with it because if you're not a fan of that band, it's kind of like a first-time experience of checking out some of these bands, and he he points out, you know, musically what they're doing, etc. So it's a very cool channel. Awesome. Yeah, that's cool. I, 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 I've been checking out all your all the YouTube guys you've been sending me or talking about on online pick of the week, and uh, they're all really cool. So, yeah, I enjoy it. Keeps me entertained. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's a different world that we're living in, and, and the online existence of music is, has changed. I mean, it's not just people recording in the studio anymore. It's It's people uploading videos online, playing with people across the world. You know, it's it's a different experience than it used to be, and and this is kind of something that we have to be aware of as as the old guard. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you'd never want to be considered, you know, a, a fossil or a dinosaur, but you know, you're always going to be. I mean, even myself, I've I've never thought I was, and I always thought I kept up with the times. But you and I kind of brought this up the other day, and I think we're going to have this conversation at another time in detail. But, you know, has heavy metal passed me by? You know, I don't, I don't recognize some of these things anymore. And it's just one of these things where am I stuck in a time period? Or am, is it one of those things where I just can't associate with what's going on now? So I don't know. So some stuff I like. Some stuff is just way out there. But that's, like, like I said, it's a topic for another conversation. Or a conversation yeah, for another I mean, day. <laughs> that's one thing that I've found that's really interesting about looking up some of these guys is I've found new music that I've enjoyed. And and same with forcing forcing myself 
and that's the best way to put it, forcing myself to listen to all the new releases every week. You know, I, I give it a fair shake. I, I listen to a few different tracks, and sometimes not all the way through, but enough that I get a good gauge of, of what I'm listening to. And I've found some stuff, and I plan to do more of those in the future where I, I bring up new tracks, but there was a there was a little rash there where I just I wasn't enjoying what I was hearing. It's hard for me to just recommend something that I that I don't really care for. So I, from time to time, I will do some uh, Freshly Forged picks as well. Cool. Well, awesome. Well, that brings us to our main topic this week. When did a band lose you? Part two. All right. So when we did this uh, way back when, and I believe it was episode 10, um, we talked about... I think you told me it was episode eight. Oh, maybe it was eight. Yeah, I don't have it in front of me. Um, but I have it writ- written down. <laughs> okay. So... <laughs> way, way back when, earlier this year, and I think that was right before uh, everything went haywire, um, we talked about certain bands that we, I don't want to say grew up listening to, but we, we took in, you know, we became one with. <laughs> so bands like Creator, Iron Maiden, Megadeth, Testament, Arch Enemy, In Flames, and Metallica. And a couple others as well. But, you know, we, we picked those bands because they were significant to us. And, and we there was a point in time in which we lost, the, the, the bands lost us. We just stopped listening to them for one reason or another or just weren't enthused by them. Or they just changed directions and were like, yeah, that's not that's not for, for me anymore. Um, and each of those bands had their times. And the, the other question that was posed was, did those bands get you back? A few of them did. A few of them, not so much. So today, we're doing another round of this and picking some different bands. Not the heaviest of heavy heavy metal bands, but not wimpy bands either. <laughs> or some might think so. All right, gotcha. so... Well, I I kind of like to start this off because sure. I have one that, I, that we just recently talked about. And I, you know, they didn't fully lose me, but at the same time, it was darn close. And uh, we just talked about them... I believe it was two episodes ago now, and that was The Haunted. So they they put out... there. There's a couple times when, when they made some major changes, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and that was where they switched singers back and forth. Um, but they put out one album that really stuck out to me, and I had already been kind of tested with the dead eye at this point, but when Unseen came out in 20, uh, 2011, um, that album was so different and so off-putting from what they just released with verses that I I just I didn't really listen to it. It wasn't that the band had fully lost me at that point, but this was like the the stepping stones to me being done with The Haunted. If they had stayed with Dolving and released another album in the same vein, I don't think I would have considered myself a fan of the band anymore more of the albums but not of the band when everything fell apart for them where their singer their drummer their rhythm guitarist all left or actually lead guitarist all left the band i thought it was over i really did they were auditioning people through tapes online and there was just there was this really bad feel about it and i really did think that things were over they did, however, be back as a fan, and not quite in the same way, 
I, I wouldn't say I'm as as strong of a fan as I used to be, but Exit Wounds, when it came out in 2014 with uh, Marco Aro rejoining the band for his second stint, man, that, that turned me around, and I was really glad to hear them kind of go back to their roots of, of playing some, some heavy metal versus some really experimental stuff on Unseen. Yeah, I remember I remarked when you asked me, what about Unseen? And I said, I wish I can unhear it. Uh, it, it, <laughs> it, it. It just wasn't, it wasn't them, first of all, even though it was, um, in my opinion. But then second of all, it just, it, it just wasn't appealing. So had they been a band that I hadn't heard before, or let's say they hadn't been as heavy, or, or they had always been a hard rock or, or melodic band of some sort, you know, an alternative band, I probably would enjoy the album. But knowing that they were so hard and so different before that, it's difficult to listen and say, oh, I like this band because they're not the same band. You yeah, know? it was a swerve. I mean, it really was. It just, and it, like we said in the, the episode, it wasn't really a truly a bad album. It just, it was so off-putting because it wasn't them. Right. Now, I I'm in a situation like, so I didn't hear about them. I had heard the name around, but I never listened to them. So until we talked about this episode a couple weeks ago. So uh, is it, did they ever win me or lose me? No, they never lost me one, one way or the other. And they never gained me. I could sit there and say, yeah, they gained me now, but I'm listening. I'm basing it on old stuff and I'm basing it on the stuff after unseen. Um, yeah. And right now, like everybody else in the world, they're on hiatus. So it's kind of like it's we don't know if they're going to continue after this or not. That's true. Um, <laughs> so yeah, for me, I mean, I had been a fan of the band for thirteen years at that point, and for them to go such a drastic difference in 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 style, um, you know, I had experienced that with several other bands, and some of them we talked about on the last episode. So be sure to check that one out. But um, yeah, it. Uh, I'm glad they they kind of turned things around and they got me back. There were a couple moments in their career where I felt that way, and Dead Eye was one of them where I still enjoyed the album. There was a lot of things that I liked about it, but at the same time, it, it I don't know. It felt like they were going down a path where they were becoming much more experimental. Versus kind of turned that around for me because I really liked that album. It was it was more straightforward along the lines of what they did with revolver and then unseen just was a curveball. So <laughs> yes, they did get me back. All right, good. That's awesome. Um, all right. So you brought up the haunted. Now I'm going to bring up a band there still today. And it is the last band that you and I saw before the world went sideways. And that is overkill. Okay. Now, I've been a fan of Overkill since 1987 um, when they released the Taking Over album, which was their second album. It was their second album that came out um, after they had released their debut a couple years earlier. Um, they were signed to Atlantic Records through Megaforce. And that was ba basically that was their, you know, quote unquote, major label debut. They had some money behind them and they had, you know, they were this up and coming heavy metal band. And I stuck with them through under the influence through years of decay and into the early 90s now at this point in the early 90s i'm working at the record store and 
that the grunge is hit at this point. You know, Nirvana's big, Pearl Jam is on the bubble, Soundgarden is breaking through. But obviously, metal bands like all the thrash bands and Overkill and all the pop metal bands are still trying to 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 make their way, and they're, they're still trying to get their hits and throwing on ballads and stuff like that. And Overkill releases Horoscope is probably one of their best albums, killer killer album. Production's awesome on it. it. I mean, it's got some classic songs on there, and they're riding high. And they take a two-year break. I mean, not, I mean, not a two-year break. I, I, I guess you couldn't put it that way. They they toured. They come back and they make their next album. I hear black, not nearly as strong as Horoscope. And then they release WFO a year later, not nearly as strong as as Horoscope. And I think that's where they began to lose me because the songs weren't as good, and at the same time, I'm going through my uh, personal, I don't it wasn't a crisis. You know, we're talking 93, 94. I'm working at the record store, so I'm, I'm going through everything. I can see that they're, that they're releasing albums, but they, there was no interest there for me. I didn't like it. They're still thrash albums. They're still Overkill, but the songs were nowhere near as good as the stuff from Overkill. I mean, from Horoscope, excuse me. And that kind of lost me. And then there was a string of albums that they released, um, The Killing Kind from the Underground and Below, that all the, basically all the albums that were in the mid, you know, in the 90s, they just, there was something about them that were not strong. Maybe one song per album, but that's not going to, that's not going to cut it. You know, you can have one song, you know, I'm pretty sure there's one song you could pick out of uh, Unseen that that is probably decent for you, you know? From the haunted. I mean, there's 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 a few that I I feel that way about, and it's just you have to put yourself in a different, a different mindset to listen to something so different. Right. Uh, now, for them, yeah, and I I totally get that with Overkill. I mean, just there there was the the classic albums at the beginning, and then there's a lot of follow up that just feels repetitive to me. Yeah, that that's what happened. So you know, they they come out of the end of the 90s, and they put out this album called Necroshine. That album was strong. That was a strong album. They had some really killer tunes on there. And again, so so at that point, I'm like, oh, this is a pretty cool thing. And and at, I was also still kind of, I was already out of the music business, but at the same time, I was still kind of in with a few people, and I would get some promos from time to time. And that album showed up in my, my mailbox, and that was a pretty cool album. But then they released, you know, Bloodletting, Killbox 13, and, and the song, the albums were steady and constant, and they were they were back to being fast thrash. But it, to me, it almost became generic overkill. For me, it wasn't until they released Ironbound that I think that they found what would would essentially become their ultimate classic sound. Sort of like how Testament refound themselves, and they they were able to mix that the death sound with the old thrash sound that they had ironbound kind of mixed a lot of stuff together from the old and the new and it 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 became what i would consider now their classic sound and i also think they they've got they had a steady lineup with their guitar players finally that was that's a big factor in in keeping a band sounding the same i think it's funny that a lot of bands do this you know they 
they play in a certain way at the beginning of their career, then they kind of go on a departure. I would say Metallica, Creator, Overkill that you're talking about now, these are all bands that, that go in a certain direction at the beginning of their career, and then they swerve, and then they kind of come back to their at least not exactly but but almost like uh, a more advanced more mature version of their early self you know mm-hmm. later in their career and i, I just, it just seems like the 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 path that a lot of bands follow yeah and i think for the, in those bands cases i think what it is is that they they acknowledge their past and they realize this is what got them there and mm-hmm. people like this and so there's there's a certain element that they kind of I don't want to say they, they feel they're forced to because I don't I don't think Metallica forces themselves to do anything that they don't want to do, and I don't think any band any artist does that for the most part. There are a few, you know, bands like Creator, Overkill. I mean, they come back and they say there's there's a tinge of that old sound that mm-hmm. yeah this was this this really did rock back in the day. Let, what let's try to incorporate this and they kind of blend it and when they make that that blend that's when they really find the groove and their sound well, I, th- I think it's that and it's also like a nostalgia factor you know they they're they're getting older they're remembering the good times of their early career etc and th- that's what really worked you know that's what they were really good at was putting out that certain sound or certain style and and they're they're just kind of incorporating that back in so yeah absolutely all right so what do you got up next all right, so so next is a band that I have kind of a, a rocky history with, and that that was Iced Earth. I did not initially care for Iced Earth. Uh, it was it took a while for me to really get into them. They were around in 1990 with their original singer. I can't even remember that guy's name, Gene something, and that was that was a pretty cool album. But I hadn't heard that until way later. So what album really got me? into that band was the dark saga and that was the one where they had spawn on the cover the, mm-hmm. the todd mcfarlane cover right. i mean character i really liked that album and i think it was mostly because of the album cover i just i just thought it was so great that you know this band was putting a whole album out that was themed about the 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 character spawn i mean i was a huge fan of the comic probably read it a bit too young but <laughs> you know <laughs> It, it is what it is. I, I thought that was a great album. But I was never also a big fan of Matthew Barlow. His vocals were always a little bit kind of cartoonish to me. And it worked for the Dark Saga. It worked for Something This Way Comes because I really enjoyed that album as well. And then they kind of they kind of lost my attention. And then I heard that they were getting Tim Ripper Owens on vocals. That Matthew had left the, the the band, and they had done the the last album that they released with him was Horror Show, and I just didn't I didn't really like that one all that much. I, it was good, but it didn't grab my attention, and it was mostly because I just never liked his vocals. It was nothing to do with the, the music itself, and then so they did the Glorious Burden. What a disappointment that was. <laughs> that <laughs> that album came out, and it was just. It, it was a bunch of propaganda, which is fine. You know, it's it's uh, nationalism. It's it's about America. It just wasn't what I was expecting out of Ice Earth with Tim Ripper Owens. But then they did this EP 
that was just fantastic and it was uh it was the uh, the the uh, lead in to their next project which was called Framing Armageddon and so the EP was great it had uh if featured a uh, 10,000 strong which was an amazing song I, I wish more people had heard that song because it was just fantastic and I think Tim has this kind of this stigma about him because of his role in Judas Priest that I guess some people kind of wrote off so they they did this concept album where it, it was a two-parter called framing Armageddon I was into the band at that point i was like this is this is great i'm loving this uh i've i like the ep i like the album i'm so excited for part two and then part two comes and i hadn't quite been paying attention at that time and i didn't realize that tim ripper owens had been uh ousted from the band at that point dismissed (laughs) yeah and uh, they brought back matthew barlow and at that point, I was just like, "Man, you finally got me." You, you're, it, how do you have a part two with a different singer? Mm-hmm. You know, it it just it just felt like such a fragmented project at that point. They even did an EP that led into that album where they re-recorded songs from the first part, and it was just okay. You can't, you lost me again. <laughs> I was I was in the in with the band, and then I was out again. At that point, they did Dystopia, which kind of got my attention again, because Stu Block came on as the new singer, because Matthew Barlow left again. This was in 2011, and Dystopia had some really cool tracks, like the first few tracks on the album, so I was like, okay, this is not bad. Then, after that, they just lost me again. (laughs) and, And so, I don't... I don't really take politics into account a lot of times when I'm listening to to music. Uh, I try not to. It depends on how far people go into it and their their beliefs. And you know, I I just don't really. I think of John Schaefer as kind of a conspiracy theorist, and and I, I try not to pay much attention to that aspect. So I opinions aside, it's about the music that I'm really talking about and. It's just that this band, Iced Earth, has so fragmented a history, and it's just hard to stick with them. I think now, if you're a fan, it's a really good time, because the last three albums have been really consistent. They've had uh, basically the same band, and and that's great. But for me, it's just, I've kind of tapped out. I'm, I'm not in it anymore. Like a, a too little too late. Type yeah, of thing. a little bit. Yeah, and, it, and it's sad. And I've always heard the name Iced Earth, and I never really got into him. Um, and I think I don't know if it's because when you read, when you just happen to catch a headline, or you you read something on Blabbermouth or, or whatever website or whatever magazine back in the day, that you know, oh, they got a new singer, or this, that, and the other thing. You catch that headline, and you're like, all right, so they they keep changing, they're changing band members like they change underwear. I mean, is this is this a Richie Blackmore project, or is is this you know something <laughs> else? So that that's you know, it's similar in that regard, There's, right? You you look at that list of of band members, and it's pretty damn long. And the, and the sad part about that is is that when you don't have that con- kind of consistency, the flip side is if you're not on a major label. You're you're not going to get the the backing, and nowadays you're not going to get sh- shit because no one's got money to to spend on on that kind of project. So a lot of those things are you know you got a small label, they give you a f- you know a few bucks here and there. Most of it's you know is self 
financed and then you know they you just bring the tapes to the record company and it's more of a distribution deal than it is an album deal so it's weird and ice earth was one of those that just never got my attention i don't know if it was one of those things where i heard one song and i didn't like it or i just never had anyone present it and say this is really cool you gotta listen to this i don't know but i never got into them and that's you know maybe sad maybe not you know because maybe i missed out on some good music but I, I, I can go back and listen to them if I want to. You know, I haven't had the time. I think, like I said, if, if you're going to check them out, check out The Dark Saga or Something Wicked This Way Comes. Those are probably their best albums, um, at least in my opinion. And they're kind of consistent in, in tone and, and sound. So it's it's hard to go... It's hard to be into a band when the only consistent member is the rhythm guitarist that's that's it i mean he's he's the primary songwriter the rhythm guitarist but you're getting different solos all the time you're getting different singers even different drummers i mean the the style of drumming changes pretty consistently so you know it's it's one of those but no i would say they did they did not get me back as a as a fan per se gotcha all right, so I'm going to I'm going to go off my list. Um, I'm not I'm going to skip somebody that's on my list, and I'm going to go with a different band because I think you and I both spoke about this band, and we kind of want to do something in a little bit in a little more detail with this band. And they they have a really cool history, and yet right now they're they're almost uh, ostracized. Put it that way. Uh, the band I'm talking about is Wasp, uh, and they came out in 1984 out of the LA music scene and they had me for the Wasp album Last Command Inside the Electric Circus even they, they even had me after a three year break they had me with Headless Children and then came the Crimson Idol and that was really a Blackie Lawless solo album but he had contractually had to put it out as Wasp very similar to Tony Iommi and all those people who are in the contract and that that album's actually pretty good, The Crimson Idol. Um, that's not to take away from it. But each of those albums, they progressively got farther and farther away from what the original concept of the band was. And, and I, I think they got tied up in trying to be a pop metal band. But Blackie's voice just never could lend itself to that. And he always wanted a little bit more. And he always wanted to be a little bit more of a showman. And I think so, as in a similar fashion to Bruce, um, when Bruce Dickinson did his kind of what was it, Skunk Works? Skunk Works, yeah. His voice just didn't fit with that style, right? So Blackie had the same problem, right? Blackie just he, his style just did not lend itself to you know, I love you, baby, rock and roll, heavy metal kind of <laughs> stuff. I mean, it's not, and it's, it was almost weird. He had a he had a voice. It's not a horrible voice, but but when he got into the point where he, he raised it into the next register, it just became full rasp, sort of like Tom Kiefer from Cinderella. And he can't sing anything but that kind of raspy style, except like at the beginning of, of the song Coming Home, he's he's singing a normal uh, voice. But then as soon as he goes into his, his upper register, it just it, it's like, you know, nails down the chalkboard. Although I like Tom. Blackie, on the other hand, He's one of those, very similar to John Schaefer, where he's 
control freak or Richie Blackmore control freak that wants to do, do his thing his way. And if the band members don't want to do it that way, then he'll find another band member. There's nothing wrong with that overall, but to me, you got to have some sort of consistency. Your song has got to be good. You know, Rainbow was a different story. They had good music, you know, and they, yeah. he, he found good players that were able to help him write better music. For for lack of whatever it is, John Schaefer wasn't able to get that as well with with even though he he had a good relationship with Matt Barlow, but eventually it soured and he went to Ripper and eventually that soured and you know there's a common denominator here. I think the difference though with Blackie is that he's the singer at least. Yeah. So there is still that consistency there when it's when it's a different member of the band. I have a harder time following a band when the singer changes and it's not somebody iconic like with Dio replacing Ozzy Dio is is amazing so it's it's easy to to follow along and stick with the band when that happens but when it switches to a different singer that just doesn't have that same what's what's the word I'm looking for that same uh, bravado that same ability to mm-hmm. to lead the band right then it just doesn't work but Blackie at least is a singer in this situation right so for me, I, they had me all the way until 1992 in the Crimson Idol, and part of what kind of let me, you know, where I said, you know, I'm 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 done with the guy, these guys. It's it's not really so much as I said, oh, I'm done. I don't want to listen to Wasp anymore. It was the same thing that I talked about with ACDC in the, in the first episode that we did. There's just too long a time period in between albums. So they took three years between the Crimson Idol and Still Not Black Enough. And in three years, in the early 90s, three years was a lifetime. The only person that could get away with doing with not releasing something in three years back in, in those times was Madonna and Michael Jackson. You know, and they and, and and that was because the albums were so damn good that they just kept releasing single after single after single off that same album. But you know, metal bands, you couldn't do that. It was, that was like being away, you know, it was like a jail sentence. You were done. People just forgot about you and they went on to the next band. And still not black enough. Then you come out with that album and it's just not that good. And so it's not that good. You come out with a, with a, with a, the, the album beforehand is, is a concept album with the Crimson Idol. Some people get it, some people don't. They've got good songs. They've got some interesting songs. And then you, you follow it up with a Wasp album called Still Not Black Enough, and it just doesn't go anywhere. And then you're talking mid-90s, so now, you know, pop hair metal kind of stuff or, or you know, that light heavy metal, if you want to call that, is not is not fashionable. So what does Blackie do? He decides he wants to go do an industrial metal album, and that's Kill, Fuck, Die, KFD. And... It's got some cool riffs, but it's not Wasp at all. So I, I have that album. I listen to it, and I actually like a, a song called Killahead on it, I think, is is, uh, is on that album. That's a good song, but then the rest of it just, it's like worse than generic industrial. And yeah, it's kind of, it, it reminds me of of uh, Two. With, uh, <laughs> exactly. Rob Halford. It just even the album cover has that industrial look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just it just feels like a sellout album. Oh, totally. You know, so they try to get back with Hell Dorado and Unholy Terror, and it's it just the, the albums were weak. 
they weren't they, it was like really weak version of their first album i mean they tried to go back to that sound they even got chris holmes back in the band but it just did not it didn't do anything so at this point wasp they're a consistent band i mean they you know 95 97 99 2001 2002 and then they put out the neon god in 2004 so they're still writing albums at a consistent pace but here's the here's the kicker and all that not in the united states they're not they they became a european band and they basically settled out there in europe i mean i don't know where 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 blackie lives in general but i'm pretty sure it's not too far away from the man of war guys who, who also live out in <laughs> europe because they're stuck out there they don't have a fan base in the united states anymore and the fan base that they do have you couldn't fill you couldn't fill a club with so yeah, and he really departed from what he was doing early on because I, I don't know if he's a born again or or just kind of changed his outlook on life. But he's a born again. Yeah, that he mm-hmm. he doesn't uh, he doesn't do some of his most popular songs. Yeah, the, so. the the animal is the one song he won't do anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And and you know people go out there to listen to that, but I'm pretty sure he you know. The the, body, the the problem is 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 the inconsistency and there's this thing like he he wants to be goth and he's not goth and and let, yeah let, let's go backwards he's no longer like that I mean now he goes out there with a, with a with a football jersey and and, and jeans on maybe some tight pant, tight leather pants mm-hmm. um and he plays his stuff and he he still has the black mascara around his eyes but for the most part his hair's down I mean he looks good he sounds good still but. It's not the same. It's not the same energy. It's not the same vibe. I mean, I saw a video from from something they did. I think in two thousand eighteen or nineteen. I mean, they've got a crowd. You know, this is a a, a festival, and there's maybe you know five hundred people watching. You know, out of a you know one of these ten thousand fan festivals. So it's it's tough to see a band that you like like that. So did they ever get me back? I would say no. I mean, I kind of lost him right after the Crimson Idol. You know, I, I listened to a little bit of, of KFD, a little bit of Hell Dorado, a little bit of Unholy Terror. But if I wanted to listen to generic crap, I'd listen to generic crap. You know, I want I want something that's good. And so they, in essence, they never really got me back. I pick up a track here and there, check it out. Eh, it's all right. And it's unfortunate because I really was entertained by a lot of the stuff that they did in, in the mid-80s, mid excuse me. Yeah, those first few albums, I, I love them. They're great, but yeah, after that, I, they just there's nothing really that that stuck out to me. I do like the Crimson Idol. I think we even talked about that on uh, an episode a while back, mm-hmm. uh, towards the very beginning. Yeah, but I uh, I I don't know. By the time, like you said, around '95, they just they don't really interest me. Those first few albums were just iconic and great. And I think maybe that has to do with members of the band leaving. Randy Piper, looking at you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, Randy left, and so Blackie took over guitar because he he didn't want to play bass anymore. And then Chris Holmes and Blackie eventually parted ways, and they've had their war going over for the last twenty years or so. Mm-hmm. So. All right, well, I have to tell you this. When I was in line at the store, I walked into Walgreens and there was nobody in line. By the time I was leaving, I was like, holy shit, what happened? There's like 17 people in line. 
So I, uh, I go up there and I'm just waiting my turn. No big deal. There's the, they opened up a second line, you know, for our second cashier. And I asked the woman in front of me, I was like, ma'am, do you want to, do you want to go ahead and check out? She's like, no, darling. Now I gotta get some cigarettes. So <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ. But what was really terrifying about it was that she looked about 40 overall, oh. but her face, oh my God. And her voice was we, horrifying. Anyway, <laughs> let's get, let's get back to the show. Let's get back to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for my next pick, uh, I'm going with a band that started out as a joke, but actually became a legitimate band. You may know who that is. That would be Fozzie. Oh. Um, Fozzie to me was hilarious when they first started. I remember when they started the the gimmick where they came up with all like names for their characters. Uh, Chris Jericho was Mongoose McQueen on the first album. Their gimmick was that they were overseas in Europe all these years, and they had become famous over there in Japan. And by the time they got back to the U.S., they realized that all their songs had been ripped off by these famous musicians, uh, which was really funny. And they did pretty good covers of uh, Stay Hungry, The Prisoner, Live Wire, uh, Over the Mountain. So in their in their story, all these songs, they were written by them, but they were ripped off by these these, uh, you know, Ozzy and Motley Crue and Iron Maiden. That's a funny, um, funny gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, but but they changed that pretty quick. I mean, they came out with Happenstance, where they still kind of kept the same idea, but when they were touring, they were just under their real names, and they dropped the wigs, they dropped all that. They they put out a legitimate album uh, that was all original songs with uh, all that remains, which I absolutely loved. That when that album came out, I thought it was fantastic. It had a cheesy cover with a little plastic skeleton. On, on the the front but but the songs were good they were legit um they had marty friedman uh zach wild miles kennedy all guest on that album so it felt it felt like they were becoming a real band um they followed that up with chasing the grail which i also really liked that one's a hard one to find if you're if you're not uh if you're not an owner of the album but um if if you have a copy, that's that's awesome. I've had trouble finding it on on uh, streaming services, so it may be it may be a difficult one to find. But that one's also really worth listening to if you like the first couple albums. Now, where they changed things was Chris Jericho even got a tattoo of this album. He said this was kind of their magnum opus at the time. This was Sin and Bones, and that was the song that kind of lost me. They uh, they had a little bit different sound on there. Um, they brought on M Shadows, if you're familiar with. So they had like some kind of rap aspects to it. Not rap. What am I trying to say? They had some. Um, uh, leave that line out. <laughs> alternative. Yeah, alternative. I don't know why I said rap because I was thinking about the last album where they had a rap track on mm-hmm. it. Anyway, sorry. Um, they brought on M Shadows, uh, who's from uh, Avenged Sevenfold. Avenged Sevenfold, and so I don't know. I just didn't really care for this album. Uh, Sandpaper was a pretty cool track, but that was kind of it for me. And I felt that there was a change happening. It continued with Do you want Do you want to start a war? And then Judas. And Judas, I think, has some great tracks on it. But overall, for me, it's such a departure from where they started that. 
I have a hard time like consistently listening to them. And it's not like I don't like them anymore because I do like some of their tracks. But at, at one point, I was such a fan that I just I I love their albums from beginning to end. And for this, you know, new era of the band, they've they've changed their sound so much that I just can't get into them in the same way. Like I can enjoy the song Judas. I can enjoy some of the other tracks on there, but my my fandom is not the same understood i mean they for me it was one of those situations with fozzy that i kind of went backwards and figured out who they were i missed the whole uh, comedic part of it um although i did catch it one time and i and i remember reading something about oh chris jericho and his band fozzy and he's you know mongoose mcqueen and i'm like what's that all about and i really didn't get it because i really didn't pay attention to it which you know is neither here nor there i just i wasn't in there at the moment so now that i I go back and i listen to those those albums the covers are great i mean i I put them on my playlist they're great covers the middle albums i didn't really get into i didn't really get into their original music until judas and judas to me it's a killer song but even chris jericho admitted that the producer who produced the album is the one who wrote most of the lyrics and i believe chris didn't write any or maybe just one song, you know, lyric-wise, on the album, he he basically is is reading off the producer's lyrics. And the producer's good. The album sounds cool. It's you know modern-sounding album, and and it's a excuse me, and it became a huge hit for them. But they are a different band from what they what they were originally. I mean, I saw them open up for Slash. They're cool. They're entertaining. Musically, you know, they're still. They still got a lot of maturing to do if they want to get to that next level, and I think that's what they're trying to do. But they, they, in order for them to succeed, they needed to leave that past life behind, and I think that's where there's the disconnect for fans like you who loved that past life. I enjoyed it, yeah, I, but I wasn't there at the time. I think it's just one of those things they're always going to have a stigma about where they came from, about Chris Jericho being a wrestler and them not being a legitimate band from the beginning the name fozzy itself doesn't really help exactly in 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 keeping them with with you know this stigma of of who they are so you know as as a fan of of chris jericho the wrestler it wasn't a hard departure for me to get into them as a band you know but it takes more than that like they have to write legit music they have to be good, and that's what that's what they were, and they still are. It's just not the same. So, you know, for me, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm not a fan, but I'm. My fandom is greatly diminished, and I'm not. I don't like if I listen to their next album. I'm not. I'm not looking out for it. It's not the same as it once was. Where, you know, sometimes there's these bands that that you you are in tune with you want to know when their next album comes comes out whatever they're doing you're paying attention to um fozzy is not one of them for me anymore sounds fair enough all right so for me my next pick now this is where some people who listen to the show are going to sit there and say finally they talk about something else or we're going to get those people who sit there and say man why are they talking about those guys and so i'm going to talk about godsmack and Godsmack, in my opinion, two things, very underrated, and two, 
completely misunderstood. And the reason why I say that is because they were lumped in with those um, new metal bands that came out in the mid to late 90s. They played, you know, the same festivals that those new metal bands did. Uh, they played Woodstock, and that's not a new metal festival, but they played Woodstock right before they, right when they, they broke it big with the song Whatever. Um, they were playing Ozfest. So they were all over the mainstream, but they were still touring with these new metal bands. But they were playing, for the most part, straightforward metal. But it was different. And it was, to me, quote-unquote, N.E.W. new in comparison to what was already out there in the late 90s. I loved it. I mean, the first album has got some killer tracks on there. They got even heavier with their second album. You know, then they they released their third album, which basically was their big album. They had a huge hit with the song I Stand Alone, which was on the Scorpion King soundtrack. And they also had some hits with Straight Outta Line, Realign, and Serenity. Um, so they're, they're a band that they ended up touring with Metallica. So you have this, uh, during this cycle actually, during the, the, the um, Faceless cycle, so you have them open for Metallica, and, and, and you have obviously Metallica. So there's a very similar style of music going on. And it's metal. I don't care what anyone says. It's a metal band. They're a metal band. They're playing heavy metal. But slowly but surely, they started walking away from that. And they kind of lost me right after the Oracle. That album, you know, they had the, the next album after Faceless is Four, which is um, came out three years later. There are some good tunes on that. They, they were still in the same style. And then the Oracle comes out, and they're still kind of got that similar style. And then right after the Oracle, they took a, a four-year break between albums. Again, four years is a long time. Not a lot of bands can recover from that. And they came back with an album, A Thousand Horsepower. The song A Thousand Horsepower was classic Godsmack. The rest of the album, not so much. They were leaning towards... Almost, can I almost Def Leppardish kind of hard rock? They were not. Oh. They were not metal, to me. Like arena rock. Yes, arena rock, but you know, heavier arena rock. But still, it wasn't. It wasn't the classic Godsmack with the you know the one note hitting in a different pattern a million times. It, that was a thousand horsepower, and it was it was exciting to hear that. And then all of a sudden, the album just kind of went down from there. There are, you know, that's funny. There's a lot of bands that have that where that you hear that one song that's on the album, you think, "Oh my god, that's a good song," and then and then you listen to the rest of the album and it's, what, what this is not good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they had a song, some something different. They thought when that ca- when that song came out that that song was going to be a huge hit. There there was a ton of promotion behind it, and no one picked up on it. And it 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 has a lot to do when when you're a band quote-unquote like godsmack a heavy metal band and you decide you want to try and go mainstream it, you can't do that overnight and even though you may have written a good song like something different that's just not your style you know i mean just imagine iron maiden turning around and wanting to do a def leopard song <laughs> it's yeah, just not gonna happen <laughs> 
So I, I'm looking at the album cover. I'm not familiar with Godsmack. I mean, I'm I I remember them their early career from when I was in high school. They were pretty popular with a lot of people that just never really appealed to me. But I'm looking at this album cover for a thousand horsepower, and it just feels like one of those those bands that has you know really doesn't have the support anymore. That they're they're putting out album covers that you know they got to pay way less for. <laughs> oh, you could the the, uh, the car. It looks like the the Munster's car that's speeding, burning it, out. It, yeah, it's a, it's a hot rod. It just it looks cheap and does not feel like their like their early albums all have this kind of visual style to them, and this just feels like a bad departure. Yeah, I mean it, it was the albums. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong; it's not a horrible album. But at the same time, it you could see that they were going in a different direction, and like I said, something uh, was it something different is a good song, you know, very similar to how you talk about Hunter, where they went alternative on that one album. There's still good stuff on there, but it's not what they were. And in Godsmack's yeah. case, that was the beginning of their of their metamorphosis. And when I say the beginning of their met- metamorphosis, their next album. When Legends Rise comes out, and it is a hard rock album. It is not a metal album. To the point where you know they were getting influences from from all these new modern rock, hard rock bands, and and I'm like, man, it's just not. That's not it. But if that's what they want to do, by all means, they can do that. But you have just literally turned your back on an entire generation of fans that were yours. You know, and and it just, I, I that's where they lost me. You know, I, I love the early albums. I love the middle albums. These last two, they really lost me. I'll listen to A Thousand Horsepower because the song is cool. But, you know, it is, actually the song is what is one of those songs where it's like a, a a compilation album. It's it's their entire history written in one song. <laughs> that's basically that A Thousand Horsepower. Hmm. So, like, if you were, if you were, uh, you know, trying to write a song about your entire career, boom, that's the perfect song. And after that, it's, you know, no, it is, they became an alternative metal band. You know, I'd rather listen to Nickelback <laughs> than their new album, <laughs> put it that way. So, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's always the danger in, in taking such a far step outside of what you do. Uh, I think it's necessary for a lot of bands to experiment and change and and not sound exactly the same every album. I mean, it's it's there's no way that as an artist you're going to be happy doing the exact same thing every album. So that's um, Kerry King. But <laughs> <laughs> even they, I mean, we talked about it. Even they experimented a little bit from time to time, especially when it came to the middle of their career. Even from album one to album two, they, yeah, there's there's a lot of consistency in Slayer. But there are things that they did that experimented, and that, that is necessary. But when you step so far outside of the range of what you're doing, like if Slayer released an alternative album now, it would be atrocious. I mean, yeah, nobody sure. would listen to it. Absolutely. All right. So now we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna turn the tables a little bit on the segment, and as opposed to when did a band lose you. We're gonna we're gonna flip this real quick on, and we're gonna talk about two bands, and we're gonna talk about when did the band gain you, 
And the reason I'm, I'm bringing that up is because for for me, one of the band, actually for both of these bands, their their careers, two different bands, two different time periods, both of which I I was into from the beginning. In in, in the case of these two bands, I'll, I'll mention who they are: Queensrÿche. I've been into the beginning since the EP in 1982, and Disturbed since their first album, The Sickness. Okay, both of them had you know good careers. And somewhere along the way, Jeff Tate decided he wanted to take over the band and steer them in a different direction. And they lost me. I mean, they lost me hard because I was just like, I'm not interested anymore. And I didn't listen to them. But they got me back when they fired Jeff Tate and they brought in Todd LaTorre and they've come out with three incredible albums. The flip, the other band is Disturbed. They haven't changed. They've changed bass players, but... they they lost me when they started changing their style a little bit and the songs became to me a little bit more generic but oddly enough they gained you as a fan yeah i mean as far as disturbed goes um i never cared about disturbed i was aware of them i knew they were popular i didn't like the the staccato style of singing that uh the lead singer did i david david draymond Draymond. I just was not a fan. Um, they did some stuff with wrestling, oddly enough, at, at some point in the uh, the 2000s, and uh, even did, I believe, a, the theme song for Stone Cold Steve Austin. And even at that point, it just wasn't enough to grab my attention. So what really interested me about the band was that I got a text message from my friend George, who is even into heavier stuff than I am sometimes, and and he said, "This is weird for me to say, but you should probably listen to the the new Disturbed album." And I <laughs> I, I said, "What?" And and he uh, he said, "No, check this song out." And he sent me the Vengeful one, and that was on Immortalized. And uh, I listened to the track, and I was like, "Wow, this is this is pretty cool." Um, this is this is very different from what they were doing before, and I think what what happened was they they more evolved into one of these storytelling bands that that you know is more along the lines of some of the the stuff that I enjoyed over the years where they're they're coming up with these concepts and and kind of uh, like a character that's woven into their music and and some some aspects that remind me more of like Judas Priest and Iced Earth and some of these other bands that weave a tale. And uh, I really enjoyed that album. I thought it was pretty dang good. I've gone back and listened to some of the other ones. Uh, As I go further back into their career, the less interested I am. But uh, (laughs) the the new stuff... I've I've actually really enjoyed. I wouldn't put them up there in my my top ten by any means, but I do have a few of their tracks in my my big playlist that I keep. And that's cool. I mean, it, it's always obviously, you know, one of the things that people kind of look at metalheads with a, a stigma is that you know they they look at us and say, oh, you know, you know, you just you just like that kind of music and blah blah blah. But a lot of a lot of metalheads tend to be very open when it comes to being able to listen to other stuff. And then there's obviously there's some that are just, no, I'm not going to listen to anything else other than black metal. But, <laughs> you know, there's there's a tendency to understand and, and go back. Like, for instance, I like 
some classical music and I get drawn to it because I, you know, when you listen to Rainbow and they've done, you know, songs from that incorporate Beethoven in it or Deep Purple when they've had the, the, the classics, you know, the classical symphony mixed in and there's, there's things in there and you listen to, um, Ingve Malmsteen, you know, with his, you know, leanings towards Paganini and all those other guys, you know, and his classical tendencies. So that opens up the mind to sit there and say, okay, well, what, what does this do? You know, or how does this sound? And so we're not completely closed minded. And, you know, when you, when you go back and, and, and especially your friend George, cause you tell me that he's really, he's, he's harder than you are in terms of metal to tell you he's it's funny he's lightened up quite a bit but uh, he's always going to be a metalhead but but yeah he's lightened up on a lot of stuff i'm i'm shocked sometimes (laughs) but you know as we get older it's like that so right it's like listen you know it's like listening to easy listening as you get older if you if you listen to pop so you know now we're listening to lighter metal (laughs) (laughs) but immortalized is a pretty good album and it was basically their comeback album and disturbed is something really cool they told nobody that they were recording a new album. There was very few people in their circle. They they went to a certain place. They went without anybody with them. And then when it came time to release the album, they did not mention it to anybody. They just shut the website down. And then they started a clock. And I don't know if it was a week or a month or whatever it was, but they just shut it down and they had a timer. And then as soon as it was uh, release day for the, I think it was for the single, boom, the website's up, the single's out, and all of a sudden, Disturbed is back. And people went nuts for it. And it was it was a really cool marketing scheme. And so they've, you know, they've been back ever since. And obviously, they've had a, a, a big hit with the uh, Simon and Garfunkel song. And the Vengeful one was, was a big hit for them as well. So... For me, I was a fan from the beginning. They lost me right after Asylum because at that point they had become that band that you're talking about, the storytelling band, and I was I was not getting a hook out of them. They just, the, the hooks weren't as prevalent as it used to be for me, and I kind of just like yeah, all right, whatever. And they were gone for five years, you know, uh, literally. From August 31st, 2010 was when Asylum was released to August 21st, 2015. Five years between albums. That's a long time. You know, and, and, and not only that, they were out of the public eye. Unlike Metallica, who was, you know, out, they, they had eight years between albums. They toured almost every single year during, that, during those eight years. They made a movie. They did this. They were in the people's faces. Maybe too much. But Disturbed disappeared. And so it was like, okay, well, they're gone. Goodbye. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> that that was that. So for me it was they've never recovered me completely. Although I I, I was supposed to go see them because my wife really likes them. Uh, and I've seen them I saw them one time during the Immortalized tour, but they're you know, nobody's touring right now, so <laughs> So yeah. the, uh, talking about touring, so I got you into the new Queensryche. So they, you know, when did you get into the band or when did they, when did you get, you know, when did you find I them? I literally got into them this year. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, January of I, this year. I had always heard them. I, I was never really that into them. They had a few songs that I thought were really cool, but something about Jeff Tate just never really 
grabbed me as far as like the, his vocal style. The early, early stuff, like Queen of the Reich, that was cool. I mean, I, I always liked that, but it didn't, you know, the what was the real popular album, the concept album from Operation them? Operation Mindcrime. Operation Mindcrime. Mm-hmm. That just never stuck with me. It, it never really appealed to me. I think by that time in their history, they had really, you know, changed from being any type of metal into really being a progressive band. And yeah, there were metal elements, but it but it wasn't a focus. Like Queen of the Reich is is like a metal song, right? You know, but I hadn't even paid attention to them. You know, I just they were I didn't even realize Jeff Tate wasn't in the band anymore. You know, they weren't they weren't somebody that was on my radar at all. And then you you asked me if I wanted to go see them. You said there was a new singer. I'm trying to remember exactly all of it, the way this laid out, but I listened to uh, the verdict, and that that album just rocked me. I was like, "This is really cool." There are some great elements on this album, and then we went to go see them live, and and I I just man, I really got into them. So I do really like everything with uh, Todd Latoria since he became the the lead singer of that that band. And uh, I I would consider myself a fan of the current uh, Queen's Right. Yeah, for for me, like I said earlier, I was a band. I was a fan from the beginning. Um, I got into the EP. I got into the Warning. I mean, that was, the Warning was was one of the first four CDs that I ever purchased. Uh, Back in Black, Highway to Hell, Lies from Guns N' Roses, and Queen's Right's The Warning. And I loved everything that they put out. I mean, Rage for Order was weird as hell to me, and I didn't get a lot of it, but now I get more of it than I ever did before. I, I kind of understand the whole progressive thing now. You know, Operation Mindcrime, I, I was into it totally. Empire came. I mean, it was a huge album for them. There were some disappointments for me because I was like, oh, yeah, there's a cool riff, and then they would just stop. And, you know, especially like on Jet City Woman, there's a really cool riff on that song, and I wish they would play more of it, but they didn't. And then from there, it just started going downhill for them. You know, they, they, they felt that they couldn't repeat themselves. So rather than repeat themselves or do something in the same vein, they just said, oh, we're going to go in a completely different direction. The Promised Land came out here in the Now Frontier, and they lost me. At the end of the 90s, Q2K came out and I was like, what is this? You know, in the tribe, what is this? Operation Mindcrime 2 came out and it was really stretching to try and get back some of the fans that they had. And it, it really, I mean, they had a string of really crappy albums. Q2K, the tribe, Operation Mindcrime 2, they did a cover album that had a pretty couple of cool covers, but even that was really weird. Um, American Soldier dedicated to chaos was that was just where the band drew the line at that point and they they fired jeff <clears throat> it was just we're done this there is was it. some drama there too there, there was there was some drama i mean there was a reason yeah. behind firing jeff that you know we don't need to get into in the show not not today at least and it was you know after dedicated to chaos i mean it was just the band couldn't deal with deal with it anymore and they eventually got rid of Jeff. They got rid of Susan Silver, the manager, which is Jeff's wife. And they got rid of Jeff's daughter, um, even though he was she was briefly married to um, to the guitar player Parker. They split up, and so basically the the uh, the Tate family went walking. 
<laughs> and they hired Todd Latore before before the band re, reformed again as Queensryche after before they fired Jeff. They Rising West was the name of the band that they had basically put together. It was Queensryche, and they they had asked Todd to sing Queensryche songs for them in Seattle because Jeff had decided he didn't want to tour at that, or, or do a tour at that point. And they wanted to do some, you know, they needed some money. They wanted to still play. So they get this guy, Jeff, uh, not Jeff, excuse me, they get this guy, Todd, to sing vocals for him in a band called Rising West. They sold two two shows. They sold out in minutes in their hometown of Seattle. And when uh, they played some of those old classic Queensryche songs, it all came rushing back to those guys, and they kind of knew what was going to happen at that point. A few months later, uh, they sat down with Jeff, and everything kind of went you know, away in terms of Jeff and, and everything that was going on. And they came back as a stronger, better Queensryche. Three albums since, they're doing really well. I mean, and they have persisted. I mean, they've been to Houston since 2013, even before that, even 2012. They have been to Houston at least once a year, in some cases twice. And I've seen them four out of those, out of in all, all those years. I think I've seen them four times with with Todd, twice on the Verdict tour. <laughs> so, I think they're they're happier. Too it just in general they they're afforded more creativity since they're not under Jeff's thumb anymore. So absolutely, they're they're happier just as musicians and they're they're having fun with what they're doing. So I I've really enjoyed watching them. If you kind of write them off because it's not the original guy, definitely give them a chance. I mean I I was pleasantly surprised and that was one of my favorite concerts I went to. Was it this year or last year? It was that this we went? year. It was in January. It was this, this year. year. It was yeah. January. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, it was it was great. Oh yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it's only got two original members left because Scott Rockenfield has decided to uh, stop playing, but a lot of that had to do with his with his uh, child being born. But there's also some personal issues in there as well. None of our business. The band don't say doesn't say anything about it. But let me tell you, the drummer that they got, Casey Grillo. Is is a, just as good as Scott. Todd is just as good, if not better, than Jeff. And Parker Lundgren, you know, he's not Chris DeGarmo, but he's a pretty damn good guitar player himself. And they still. I like the songs that he he wrote too. They were they were really good on this this mm-hmm. uh, this last album. Now that being said, Scott Rockenfield is still listed as a member of Queensrÿche. Yes, um, he's just on hiatus. But let's let's be real. It's. I mean, it's it's unlikely at this point that he'd come back. And, and yes, Casey Grillo is, is great. Yes. So, when did the band lose you? When did the band get you? We've, uh, we've got still a bunch of bands, so we're probably going to end up with another episode at some point, but that's going to be a while down the road. Um, that brings us to our big four for tonight. And the big four tonight is heavy metal soundtracks. So, do you want to go first, or you want me to go first? Um, I'll go first. Okay, cool. Okay, so for number four, I have a soundtrack from a movie that, when I was a little kid, I I uh, 
I kind of had to sneak and and watch these these show or the show of this, uh, but they finally made a movie which was Demon Knight, which was part of the Tales from the Crypt. Um, my mom, I think she knew I was watching it, but you know, <laughs> as a little kid, it probably wasn't tailored for me. But I I thought it was great. I love that show. Um, the soundtrack to the movie was was really cool. It had Pantera. Megadeth, Sepultura, Filter. Um, I'm not a huge Filter fan, but that first album I really liked when it came out. Um, So it was Hey Man, Nice Shot by them. Uh, Sepultura, Policia. They had Machine Head, if you're a fan of that band. Uh, Rollins Band, which I've I've always liked, Henry Rollins. Um, But it had Pantera's Cemetery Gates. I just thought it was a really cool album. I don't even know how I got my hands on it when I was a kid. Because I know my mom didn't let me buy it, but I had it. <laughs> I have it. I got it as a promo. Uh, for number uh, three, I almost said number two, but let's go with number three. <laughs> um, this is Spinal Tap, the album. So I absolutely adore this movie. And if you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor. Enjoy a, a heavy metal movie that's a comedy, but just really good soundtrack to be honest um you have songs written by the actual guys that were in the movie that christopher guest harry shearer michael mckeon they wrote these songs that are kind of tongue-in-cheek but at the same time really catchy tonight i'm gonna rock you tonight i mean you can hear (laughs) that's such a great title heavy duty hellhole rock and roll creation um all these are great moments in the movie and to to be accompanied with actually legitimately good songs what a what an album and the the funniest thing to me is the album cover it's just plain black and if you've seen the movie you understand what about that none more black none more black (laughs) uh for number two i am picking uh last action hero the soundtrack a much better soundtrack than it is a movie although as I'm older and I watch the movie, I like it more now because it has that nostalgia factor. But there's also things I get more about the movie as an adult, not not like adult themed humor or anything like that, but more like I I have the the age and experience that I I look back and I think I remember fondly some of the times and stuff like that. So I enjoy the movie, but the soundtrack itself is great. Uh, ACDC. Alice in Chains, Megadeth, Queensryche, Def Leppard, Anthrax, Aerosmith. I mean, it's it's a killer soundtrack. It, it Tes, Tesla even did the the uh, Last Action Hero song on there. So definitely check that one out. It was hard. I was hard pressed to even put this at number two because to me it is like the ultimate heavy metal soundtrack. That being said, the one that beats it out is it purely beats it out for nostalgia factor. And so number one is kind of a funny one, but you have to understand that when I listened to this album, I was probably one or two, and it was one that stuck with me. It was the first cassette that I owned. It was the first CD that I owned. It is special to me because it's one of the the albums that actually made me fall in love with the sound of metal. And it's Transformers the movie, the soundtrack from 1986. Um, Stan Bush 
sings a couple songs on here. There's a band called Spectre General who does two tracks, uh, Nothing's Gonna Stand in Our Way and Hunger. Now, Spectre General is actually a band called Kickaxe, if you're familiar with them. Oh, yes. Kick- Kickaxe was under contract, and there was, there was uh, some some difficulties with using their own name. So they had to come up with another name and they played two tracks on this album under the name Spectre General. Nothing's Gonna Stand in Our Way is actually a song by John Farnham who did uh, tracks on the movie Rad and on uh, um, Savage Streets. So Savage... the song actually appears on Savage Streets as well, which I liked that movie as well. That was a Linda Blair movie from the eighties. So that song, there was another, there was another song that really stuck out to me by a band that was kind of put together for this album called NRG. And that's instruments of destruction. And it's a really heavy track. It's probably the most influential song on me that really got me into heavier music which is funny because it was from a kid's cartoon. But as a kid's cartoon, it was also pretty violent. I mean, I would say a good portion of the cast died during the movie in a kid's cartoon. Uh, so the, the soundtrack itself for the actual the, the Transformers was done by Lion, and it was a, a more metal version that than had ever appeared on any of the versions of the TV show. That In three seasons, they had different, different uh, theme songs. But this was a metal version of that. So it's funny that it's it's a uh, cartoon that I'm picking as my number one. But to me, it's it's really influential on the sound. I would say Transformers the movie and Power Rangers were two of the biggest factors in me getting into metal music as a kid. Because they had a lot of instrumentation of, of metal in, in the shows, in the, the, the cartoon. And... I, I got to have this at my number one because of, of its factor on me personally. That's awesome. I'll take that. Um, and and even if even if you're not a fan of the cartoon or anything, check out the songs on there, especially Instruments of Destruction, Nothing's Gonna Stand our, In Our Way, and Hunger. Those are fantastic metal songs, and I think anyone can get into them. Cool. I'm definitely going to check that out. I uh, I had never gotten into it because I just was never a Transformers guy. That's that's just me. Yeah, personally. I mean you're you're a bit older. Uh, I mean '86. I was I was born that year. Yeah. So I mean it it was probably the first movie videotape that I may have owned too. Yeah. '86. So. I was a junior in high school. So. <laughs> yeah, I can I can see you not really getting into it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, cool. I got some similarities um, to you. Um, but then there's some differences. I actually was going to have Demon Knight as my number four. And for whatever reason, I just could not get into it. Um, I have the album, as I mentioned. But I just couldn't get... I just could not bring myself to say, yeah, that's that's um, that's my number four. But my actual number four is going to be the Freddy vs. Jason soundtrack. Which came out in, in 2003. And it has a lot of the new some metalcore bands and it has some of the new metal bands. And it was one of these things where it's got some interesting stuff. So it's got, you know, kill switch engage. It's got uh, mushroom head, hate breed, uh, slipknot, seven dust, power man, 5,000, the murder doll, Seether. I mean, these are some of of these bands like Seether, stone sour, sepultura. 
you know, it's got in flames on there. It's trigger. Yeah, uh, that was a huge boon for them to get on the Freddy versus Jason soundtrack. Right. Uh, Lamb of God's on there. So there's a lot of big bands that are on here, but it was not any of their bigger, bigger songs. So, but but it was a good soundtrack for, for overall. Um, so I put that as my number four. My it, was a, it was a big, and note this, it was a big album when it was released. And I, I went to see this movie actually on opening day. A lot of the music obviously is not featured in the movie. A lot of these soundtracks to to horror movies and and action movies at the time in the early 2000s, these songs did not actually appear in the movie. But what what was interesting about them was because they had that name that was tied to them, they were big advertising uh, features for a lot of these bands. Mm-hmm. And to be tied to that name was a big deal. When this came out, a lot of these songs were not released. Yes. These, these were new songs. So this album sold like crazy for fans of the band because this was the first chance that they got to listen to some of these songs. Exactly. I mean, they, they, I mean, the list of band names on here is just crazy how good all these bands are and how big some of them are. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so that was number four. Number three is the is the one where everybody is into it and everybody knew about it and it 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 made it it basically remade a band all over again and that is the Wayne's World soundtrack. Uh you know that was almost on my list and <laughs> I'm glad you picked it. Yeah, it it gave Queen a whole new life again with Bohemian Rhapsody. But let me tell you there's some pretty good songs on there. I mean Hot and Bothered from Cinderella Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, Sika Mekaniko is really cool. Black Sabbath's Time Machine. Uh, Tia Carrera. The better version of Time Machine. Yes, too. it is the better the version. Much better version. Tia Carrera did a ripping version of Ballroom Blitz. So, you know, there's some pretty cool stuff on there. Yeah, she has two tracks on that that album, uh, yes. I believe. There yes, may be does. more, but Why You Want to Break My Heart, I think yeah, is the name of the other, the other song. That's the other one, yep. And that's a pretty cool song. Um, but yeah, the Ballroom Blitz version. And she can sing. She yes, legitimately she can. can sing. Yeah, so, a, I, I had that that CD very early in my collection. I think it was it was probably one of the first ten CDs I ever owned, and I love that album. <laughs> so yeah, so that was that's my number three. Uh, my number two, same as yours, Last Action Hero. Basically, that was the return of ACDC. They had been gone for a few years, and that was also the return of Phil Rudd to ACDC. So. It was, you know, a lot of people like, hey, this is a pretty cool song. It had a cool groove to it. But like you said, you know, it's got Tesla, you know, Alice in Chains. Actually, Alice in Chains twice. Uh, had a really killer version of Aerosmith's Dream On that was live, with, a, I believe, with an orchestra. So Def Leppard had a big hit with Two Steps Behind on there. So, yeah, so it was that was a really killer uh, killer soundtrack. Cypress Hill, one of the, the few or one of the only... Um, uh, hip-hop bands that song cock the hammer is pretty cool <laughs> I, I like it myself yeah it's a great album i mean yeah. just from beginning to end it's it's really cool yes and my number one for some people it's gonna be like oh yeah and for some people it's gonna be out there decline of the western civilization part two the metal years um that's a really cool album there was a few unsigned bands on that um seduce was one of them um Lizzie Borden was was not unsigned, but they weren't huge at the time. Uh, Armored Saint was going through turmoil, so they had 
Alice Cooper was on there. He did a duet with Axl Rose, Under My Wheels. Uh, Faster Pussycat was on there. Motorhead, Armored Saint, Lizzie Borden. Megadeth, Queensryche, Metal Church was, was uh, I believe at the time that that album came out, had just came out with their second album. And this was an, uh, uh, not a, um, this was like a demo track. It's called a song called The Brave. You know, and, and uh, Rigor Mortis, which never went anywhere. <laughs> so that's a really cool album. I love the Lizzie Borden version of Born to be Wild. It's super cool. Faster Pussycat, Bathroom Wall Live. So the, the, the album's awesome. I like the, I like a lot of the songs that are on here. Decline of the Western Civilization Part 2. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen it, check it out. The The, the movie itself is really entertaining. There There is... Um, a lot of really iconic moments in there that you may not have known came from that that documentary, but definitely check it out because it's it's a it's a fun one. I think maybe we should talk about uh, met some metal documentaries in the next coming weeks. Yes, for sure. I, I like that idea. So that's my number one, and uh, that wraps up this show. So what are we doing next week? Next week on episode thirty-two. We're going where eagles dare to go head-to-head once again with Iron Maiden, Peace of Mind versus Power Slave, two of Iron Maiden's most iconic albums. It's the Trooper versus the Ancient Mariner, and Kenneth is going to be at a loss for words when I beat him down in this debate. <laughs> I love we you. also have more <laughs> Rusty Metal and another online pick of the week for you. I'm Chris K, and on behalf of Kenneth Dean, remember... Die with your boots on if you're going to die. See ya. <laughs>